My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. Now, when I was a, a, a young child growing up, and I'm, I'm a little older, I'm 56. When I was a young child growing up, there was this massive wave and movement of peace or the statements about peace. And there were peace marches. And this was during the Vietnam War era when there was a lot of division in our country. And there was this epitome, this picture of how all things will become perfect one day. And, and it, it just all wrapped itself up into a television commercial. And this television commercial painted the way for what life would be like one day. In fact, these are the words of that song. I'd like to buy the world a home and furnish it with love. Grow apple trees and honeybees and snow white turtle doves. This is like old stuff, okay? I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. I'd like to buy the world a what? A Coke, not a Pepsi. Come on, a Coke, right? And keep it company, that's the real thing, my friends. If we just get together on the mountaintops and we all pass flowers around and we all drink a Coke or Diet Coke, you know, uh, everything's going to be fine, right? That's advertising for you, right? Well, that same year, a song came out. I still love this song uh, by Cat Stevens. And uh, he, he sang this. He says, now, I've been happy lately thinking about the good things to come. And I believe it could be something good has begun. I've been smiling lately, dreaming about the world as one, and I believe it could be someday it's going to come. Peace train, you know? Every once in a while, I still hear that on Kink on the radio, and I love that song because it's a hope that one day we are going to just drop all of our walls. One day, we as humanity, we're going to stop fighting one day. One day, we're going to come together and be brothers and sisters, Now, since 1970, since these things came out, the world has gotten a whole lot worse, right? One day is not coming. I wish it were. Now, the Bible describes one day like a future one day, okay? But that's because God will be in charge. But in this world system we have today, we are more divided than we've ever been before. I mean, think about the things that divide us. I just wrote down a few things. Politics divide us. (laughs) Can I get a... You know, I'm mad at you for voting that way. Amen. All right. No, you know, it's like that's what we, politics have divided us more in this year than any other time in our history. Right. 
Politics divide us. Uh, race divides us. Wow, look at the racial problems we've had in our nation just in the last year. Politics and race and economic status, social status. You look at religion, it all divides us. And we are more divided than we've ever been before. What happened to wanting to buy the world a Coke and sing in perfect harmony with flowers in our hairs, right? About going to San Francisco in the summer of love and just everything will be fine. What happened to this march and this dream that one day, one day, my children, right? That I have a dream that one day, and that dream in some ways has become more of a nightmare, right? My wife and I watched a while back that, uh, that documentary on Netflix called Social Dilemma, and we showed it to our boys last night, and just reminded, the second time through was even better. And I don't know if you've seen it, and if you've got Netflix, or you can uh, go to a friend's house, do not share the password, okay? But, um, you know, you can watch this. It's about an hour and a half, and it, they do a great job of scaring you to death when it comes to Facebook and social media. Because the architects, the geniuses behind all of the software and all of the algorithms that allow you to get a notification are now warning you that it's destroying our soul. And as the documentary progresses towards the end, it's actually destroying our nation. And you wouldn't think about that, that what they say about 20 programmers in Silicon Valley are communicating to two plus billion people how to live and act. But that's the world we live in today. And it culminated with this one statement by one of the the architects of the algorithms who said, my fear is that America will soon, in the next 20 years, have a civil war. Because all we do is hang out in the echo chamber of our news propaganda, whatever side we're on. And all we do is listen to that and we go down the rabbit holes and we no longer see each other as brothers and sisters. See, friends, we live in a divided nation, and we know that right now. You know, the reality of division is something that the church should be in the business of destroying. (laughs) With Jesus, we should be the first people out there tearing down the walls. That is our calling, right? Because that's what Jesus did. I mean, when there's a brokenness, when there's a hurt, when there's someone who's far from God, we should be the first that gets out of our comfort zone and goes and welcomes people. Whether it means climbing over a wall, tearing down a wall, destroying the system that created the wall in the first place, we should be first and foremost the people that are moving out into the world, bringing people in. Not to a religion, but to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, There was a a quote from uh, 1936, and I wasn't alive then, I'm not that old, um, by Archbishop William Temple who said this, It is clear that the church only fulfills its function as the body of Christ. Now that's a bold statement, that we only fulfill our function as the body of Christ if it is constantly thinking about those who are outside can be inside. If we are constantly thinking about those that are outside, maybe racially outside, economically outside, politically outside, socially outside, whatever it is, right, can be inside. The preoccupation of the church should be with those that are outside. Now, I'm here to tell you that the preoccupation of the church today is not with those who are outside. It's with those who are inside. Again, I, I, I can't just say this only as the pastor at sunrise, and I've been here, you know, a whole long, long time. I mean, a lot of years. But I'm telling you now, as a guy that goes around and visits with, you know, hundreds and hundreds of churches and pastors in the Pacific Northwest, the reality is we as churches are more focused on those inside than those outside. 
The arrows of the church are toward those that are inside. And I understand why, because we, we like what we like. We're comfortable. We enjoy what we enjoy. We like it our way, our style, and we want it that way. But the gravity, the natural gravity of a church is towards those who are already inside. And if a church forgets the mission, which is the outsiders, the making disciples, the going, you know, and baptizing and teaching, then we will become an insulated church that only focuses on the inside. And we forgot why we exist. And, and I, I just am afraid for judgment to come on churches when they become irrelevant because all we care about are those on the inside when our mission is to go outside. And going outside is scary, friends. It really is. Because people outside don't look like us. They don't sound like us. They don't sing like us. They don't smell like us. They don't, they don't you know, know the things we know. But you know, when you think about this mission of the church, are you personally, as a, a follower of Jesus Christ, more focused on those that are outside. If not, then we're all part of the same problem, right? I mean, I like it comfortable. I do. I, I like things done my way. I like, you know, the way I like it. But would you be willing to leave your comfort and go on a mission to reach people far from God, which is very uncomfortable? Friends, that is exactly what God has called us to do because that is what Jesus did. In fact, this same tension that we face today they were facing at the time of Christ. And we're going to look at a story today that illustrates how Jesus got angry. He got mad when the insiders were building walls to keep outsiders out. And anytime we as religious people do that, God gets angry because God's heartbeat is for the outsider to come in. And that'll only happen if we go out and we go get them and we go after the one who is strayed and leave the comfort of the 99, as Jesus said. Now, we use a, a series of, of words at sunrise that we seek to reach the least, the last, and the lost. Now, that can mean a lot of different things to different people, and it's not to be used in any kind of derogatory way. Um, but, but, but the reality is, you know, someone reached you. Someone saw you when you were not welcome, when you were not accepted, when you were not loved, when you were not the way everybody else was, and somebody reached out to you and invited you in. You're here or you're watching online because somebody reached out to you or maybe someone's reaching out to you right now and you're here and you're, you're an outsider and you know it and you're in the room with a bunch of insiders and it freaks you out, right? Because we are weird, okay? We're just different. Our language, our style is different. I, I, I get that. I understand and I understand that tension because I was once outside and somebody left the comfort, crossed the wall and grabbed me and welcomed me in. And for me, that's been over 40 years. And my life's mission now and, and our church's mission now is to leave the comfort of the insiders to go after the outsiders so that the outsiders could find Jesus and come in. And if we become more focused and more concerned about our comfort, if we just rivet down on what we want at the sake of other people that have yet to find God, then I think we should just close our doors because we've ceased being the church. The church is on a mission to cross over, to tear down, to destroy any wall 
that keeps people from Jesus Christ. The only thing that anyone should ever stumble over is the cross, <laughs> okay? We'll never drop the cross, that's it, right? And it is a stumbling offense. It's a fence, right? Man, it's, it's pretty offensive when somebody says, you're sinful, you're hurting, you're broken. I get that, but that's the truth of the matter. But anything else, any other wall, we have to tear down to reach people for Jesus. Jesus was an expert at crossing socially um, established barriers from religious people, and he walked over those. Jesus was an expert at reaching out to the hurting, the tax collectors, the lepers, the, the prostitutes, the, the Canaanite woman, the Syrophoenician gal, the people that the religious people had written off as filthy, unclean, that they would never spend time with them. And Jesus hung out with him. Remember a couple of weeks ago, grace and truth, that little Greek word diatribo, it's like the rub through the skin. That's what Jesus is inviting us to do, to rub through the skin with folks that are far from God. Um, C.S. Lewis, in his um, book, The Weight of Glory, or the, the book there, there's an article on the inner ring. I, I, I love it. I, I, I use this in my doctoral work because it was so powerful to think through why we struggle with this. Because it's not just a church issue. It's a human issue. He says, every society has a depraved desire to make ourselves and our approved list of friends into an exclusive club that derives a sick and sinful form of pleasure by just being able to keep other people out and other people down, right? That's, it. That's our Instagram world. That is our keeping up with our Kardashian world. That is the world we live in. We want to be in that room, in that circle, in that place. And if it means holding people back, that's great because at least I'm in, right? Jesus lovingly reached across those religious rings of separation and invited the common misfit and religious undesirable into his fellowship. Jesus sought out the sinful, the sick, and the disabled, and the diseased so that he might spend time with them. That's that diatribo. He spent time with them. John chapter 3. Those who were physically and morally unapproachable became the focus of the Son of God. Are those who are physically and socially unapproachable to the community that you're a part of, to the culture that you're a part of, whatever that might be? Are, are those the people you seek out and focus on? He received them and went so far as to eat with them. He welcomed them into his presence. Think about this in your own life. Have you ever experienced being shut out from a group? Have you ever experienced not being popular enough or smart enough or good-looking enough have you ever experiencing want it, like want you know you experience this desire you want to be in that group you want to be in that you want to sit at that table right and the epitome of this is the junior high cafeteria okay remember this the junior high some you know some of you haven't remembered it because you're not there yet okay but the junior high cafeteria the high school cafeteria the locker room the football field the baseball field wherever it is the dance when when we just want to be in the middle of that where the spotlight shines and we want to sit at the right table with the right people. We all have a sick desire to be in because then we feel okay, but more importantly, to keep others out. So our club is small. Our circle is small. And that existed back at the time of Jesus, and it exists today. And we decide which table is the most important one. And Jesus came and sat at the lowest table with the hurting and the broken, the sick and the lost, the diseased, the outcasts of his world, and he offered them the kingdom because the people who were sitting at the popular table didn't want it. And the same is true today. Or maybe you've actually kept someone out. Maybe 
You're not the person that wants to get to the table. That was my life. Maybe you're the person that just, you're born at the right table, you know? You just, you just by, by your nature, your, your charismatic personality, by, by something, your external appearance, you were born at the right table. Do you hold people at bay? I think we've all done it. We've all pushed people out. And God gets mad. He gets angry. When we as religious people, church people, build the walls of this building to keep those people out when the doors should be wide open to everybody who would come in. Now, there's a great glimpse of this. We're in the book of John, and we're looking at believing in uh, Jesus Christ, and this is uh, a great story. It's recorded in, in the Gospels, and John puts it early in the ministry of Jesus. Others put it late in the ministry of Jesus. Some think maybe it's happened twice. Some think it only happened once. But John puts it right here, and he puts it here for a reason, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And this is what we call Jesus' temple tantrum, okay? Then when he cleans the temple, okay? So if you've got a Bible, it's in John chapter 2, starting in verse 13. We're only going to look at a couple verses here, and this is what it says. It was nearly time... Let's get the text on the screen. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover. This massive time, once a year, everybody is called to show up in Jerusalem. They're at the temple. It was talked about in the Old Testament law that once a year, at least once a year, three times usually, but once a year, you'd present yourself to God. This Passover remembrance of God delivering his people. Massive party, right? Uh, it was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. So Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. We'll talk more about that in a bit. Let's, let's just look at the rest of the text. Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and cattle, scattered the money changers' coins over the floor, and turned over their tables. Then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Now, there's a lot there. There's a lot there. Um, some of you haven't noticed yet if you've made it back to the building. Some of you have, and you've only a couple people have asked, but we took out our cafe. And you, oh, some of you are like, really? I didn't see that. Okay, we took out our cafe. And the reason is, is because we were selling coffees in the house of God. No, just teasing. Um, I grew up in a church setting that you could not ever sell anything at church. When musical teams would come through way back in the day, you know, you couldn't sell anything. I was on a musical team at college, choir tours, uh, singing group for a year, and we would go around, and there were some churches that would tell us up front, the pastor would say, you know, if you sold anything in the church, that's a sin. You can't sell CDs, you can't sell tapes or records or eight tracks or, you know, abacuses or whatever you used back in the 80s. Okay, you know, you, you, you can't sell that stuff because that'll make God mad. That's not the point of the story, okay? Now, there is an element of it, but that's not the issue. The issue isn't the buying and selling of stuff in the church or in God's house. It's where they were doing it. And so that's what I want to talk about. Now, what made Jesus mad about this? Okay. In order to really understand it, you've got to go back to the words that he was quoting. Now, John doesn't mention this, but the other writers do. And Matthew does a really good job mentioning it. So I want to go, if you, if you think about what Jesus was saying as he was forming that rope into a whip as he was cracking it, 
as he was shouting, as he was flipping over tables, as he was scattering stuff, as he was making people frightened and angry, and as he was cleaning the temple, Jesus was quoting scripture. And so that matters what he was saying to understand what's going on. And so this is the scripture he was quoting. He was quoting Isaiah 56. And so Matthew records this. And so, you know, we'll read it. But this is the, the gist of the matter. When Isaiah is speaking about this one day future place that God would invite all nations to come to. He says, I will also bless the foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord, who serve him and love his name, who worship him and do not desecrate the Sabbath day of rest and who hold fast to my covenant. I will bring them to my holy mountain of Jerusalem and will fill them with joy in my house of prayer. The next slide. I will accept their burnt offerings and sacrifices because my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. For the sovereign Lord who brings back the outcasts of Israel says, I will bring others too besides my people Israel. And so God had a dream that his nation of Israel would scatter out and be a light and welcome the outsiders in. But that's not exactly how it happened. And you can read about that in the Old Testament and why God judged the nation and destroyed the temple. Well, now the temple has been rebuilt under Herod the Great and Jesus is there and the same problem is going on. The religious people, the people of God are building walls to keep the outsiders out and finding ways to make it difficult for an outsider who came in to even find a house of prayer. Well, why would I say that? Well, here's the deal. If you take a look at this picture there in, in Jerusalem uh, at the museum, uh, the, the, there, the Israel Museum in Jerusalem, there's a model. Uh, it's, it's fascinating. It's about the size of probably about this auditorium. And um, it's a scale model of the city of Jerusalem at the time of Jesus. It's the second temple period, it's called. And uh, so I, I, people, I did it. You take pictures, right? This is a picture of the model of the temple. And so this whole structure is the temple mount or mound, but this in particular is just the temple. But here's what would happen. You see these things right here. If you're online, you can see this. They're, they're coming, people, all the worshipers come up and they start in this place called the court of the Gentiles. I love that, that there was a place where the outsiders had a welcome invitation. Okay, now we call that our foyer, all right? So today, so the foyer, all right? The first place people come into. When everybody feels welcome, when everybody just gathers together, that was the place that the outsiders were allowed in. Now, unfortunately, the religious people at the day, the Sadducees who controlled the temple, the Pharisees who were the teachers, they invited all of the people who should have been outside here selling everything, trading everything, they invited them to come in to make it this massive flea market. Now, what, what was going on? Well, it was the reality that if you were, say, 100 miles away and you wanted to bring your sacrifices to God, to the temple, that if you had a, a bull or a calf or sheep or doves or anything like that, that it would be incredibly impractical for you to cart them all the way down. And so it was entirely acceptable for you at home to sell those, take your best of your best and sell them, get the best money, put it in your pouch, go to Jerusalem, and then 
exchange that for like, for a, you know, an animal, that then you would present to God. And not only that, that, that there was a tax required on all worshipers. And it had to be specifically paid for in temple money. And so as you made your money and you saved your money, you tithed part of it, you brought it to Jerusalem, you had to pay the temple tax in temple coinage. And so there was an exchange rate. Now, who was in charge of the buying and selling and who was in charge of the exchange rates? It was the religious people. Now, they took advantage of everybody, including the poor. Just reading through, in my reading through the Bible, it talks specifically about the doves. And if you think about this, you know, if you were too poor to, you know, to have the money for a lamb or something else that was required, you could, you could bring a dove or a couple turtle doves if you were poor. You remember what Mary and Joseph brought to the temple? On that eighth day, they brought in a, a, an offering. It was, it was turtle doves. And so here, whether you're rich or you're poor, you're getting ripped off is what's going on. The money changers were all about greed. The people selling, they were all about profit. And where they were doing it was excluding the outsiders from coming in. Now, let me go to this next picture. This is, this is a zoom in here, a cut in. And this is technically the temple. And this is the court of the Gentiles out here with these colonnades all around it. But here's what, what would be invited to you and to me as Gentiles. We're, uh, we're Gentiles. Um, I, don't, I don't know that anybody's Jewish here, but if you're a Gentile, you could not go into here, but you were allowed here. And so everybody would walk up into this entrance and you'd see this massive temple structure. And, and just the way it's described in ancient literature is phenomenal. It's just this awesome experience. The largest, historically, the largest temple for one God ever created on the planet. The largest temple for just one God. Okay, there were larger places for a lot of gods, but this is the only one. People would come from around the world just to see for one God, Yahweh God. And so you'd come up, and if you were a Gentile, there was a, a little wall here you couldn't cross, a balustrade. And so, but if you were a, um, a, a Jewish person, you'd come into this beautiful door, the gate called Beautiful, and you'd come in, and this was the court of the women. So the women would be allowed in here, and there's some stories in the ministry of Jesus about women giving coins and stuff that happens right in here. And if you were a man, a Jewish man, far more important than a Jewish woman, okay, at that time, then you would be allowed through these doors into the court of men, okay? And if you were a priest, far more important, you could be allowed into these areas. Areas, and if you were the high priest, one time a year, you would be allowed through these doors. So it was a series of doors that kept people out and allowed certain people in. Okay? And most importantly, this wall kept the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles, out. And instead of allowing the Gentiles to come and pray... Those that were seeking God to come and worship and be that close to the temple, the presence of God. The religious people decided to allow all the money changers in. And all the people selling all the cattle. Can you imagine how hard it would be to have a prayer service when there are turtle doves and sheep and cattle and smell and sights and sounds can you imagine that? You, you, how, how could you gather to pray? And so you as an outsider, it was not practical to go in. And Jesus got mad. Because God's dream was for his place of worship to be a house of prayer for all nations. 
Now, the merchants had set this up, and Jesus was targeting this. Now, on the one hand, he was targeting commercialism. There's no question about it. This is the getting ready for the high and holy day, okay? This is like Jesus coming in, and everybody's lined up on Friday morning at 4 a.m. at Walmart because TVs are on sale, and it's Black Friday, and he's there, and he just destroys Walmart, okay? All right. It's kind of like that, okay? Much, much bigger, okay? It's kind of like in the morning when all the stocks are going to go and Jesus is at Wall Street just tearing down the, you know, the ticker tapes. It's like, this is an important time. And Jesus comes in and he gets angry. But again, what he's really angry at is prejudice and racism and the superior attitude of I'm in and you're out. God gets angry, my friends. Even today when we shut the doors of people that are far from him and do not allow them to come in. When we create a system that's safe for us and we love it and we like it and we enjoy it, but it doesn't relate to anybody outside anymore and isn't welcoming to anybody outside anymore, God gets mad. Have you done that lately? Have we done that lately? Are we doing it and we don't know it and need to be called out as a people of God? Have we closed the doors to people who are far from God because we like it the way we like it? Um, one of my, uh, I like, you know, some of the parts of my job uh, with um, CB Northwest as I go around these churches. Part of it, we do an assessment. My buddy John and I were Friday and Saturday, we we're just up in Vancouver assessing a church, doing these focus groups, and we ask a lot of questions. And um, it's going to be exciting to give that report because it's a super solid church. Um, but by and large, it's not very exciting to get the report. Because <laughs> usually we have to say to people, you know, you've been disobedient to the Great Commission and you built a church for church people and um, God's not happy and you need to repent. That's part of my job. Isn't that, that's fun. Pray for me. Okay. All right. Um, because the church needs to repent. It needs to be broken and weep. If a church has created a system more concerned about those that are inside. And every once in a while, we give a presentation to a church and say that. And they look at us and say, we don't care. We want it our way. I run fast from that church because I don't know when God's going to strike it. (laughs) But probably it's just going to die and become irrelevant. I never want that for Sunrise. Gosh, I never want that for my heart, right? Because it starts in all of our hearts when we build walls to keep people out. You know, if you look at this um, next photo right here, this is a remaining piece of that balustrade there. And um, this is in a, a museum in Turkey and uh, Istanbul. And I had the pleasure of being there. This is one of the last pieces. It said this everywhere. It's about a meter high. It says, no stranger is enter within the balustrade around the temple and enclosure. Whoever is caught will be himself responsible for his ensuing death. So if you were a Gentile and you crossed the wall, your blood is on your own head, right? They kill you. They, they kill you. There's a story of Paul being accused of bringing a Gentile in and they want to kill Paul. This is a serious thing. This is like the big metal detector not allowing you in, right? And so this wall had been built by religious people to keep certain people out. And then Jesus showed up. And in fact, beautiful text in Ephesians 2, the Apostle Paul says this. For Christ himself 
has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Now that probably doesn't carry the gravitas, the weight, because we're all Gentiles. But if you were a Jew hearing those words, you would have known what it was like to grow up with racial hatred of Gentiles. And to realize that Christ himself on the cross broke down the wall. If you were a Gentile, this is good news. <laughs> it's like, thank you, I can be invited in now. I can come right into the holiest place. I can come in to God because of Jesus. And so now there is no longer Jew or Gentile. There's no longer male or female, slave or free. There's no longer black or white. There's no longer rich or poor. There's no longer us and them. There's just Jesus. And he has invited us into his presence. Because of Jesus' death on the cross, we can freely come to the inner court and right into the throne room of God. And how dare we ever, if we ever, shut the door to someone else. No one is ever too far across the wall that God cannot reach them and bring him in. But how dare we close that door if he's bringing them in, right? We need to go out and be on a rescue mission for people that are far from God.